you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Thanks, Matt, and, uh, and thanks, everyone. What an incredible joy it is to be able to share with you this resurrection morning. And, and I want to begin by asking each of you and myself a question, and that is, how is your heart this Easter morning? How is your heart? Now, um, a few years ago, I did an ECG, and it's what you do when you suddenly wake up and discover you're a middle-aged man. You have an ECG. So I had an ECG. Those of you who have had it will know that they, they put the things um, on your chest, and there are electrodes and wires, and then, and then you watch your, your heart graph, or the doctor watches your heart graph on the screen. I had an ECG. And uh, that's very important because your heart is such an important um, part of your function. Without your heart, you just don't operate. But I'm not, when I ask that question, how is your heart, I'm not actually asking what are your ECG results or how is your blood pump going. Although I hope that's going very well for you. But that's not my question. The Bible speaks about the heart more than a thousand times. And when it speaks about the heart, It's not speaking mostly about the blood pump. It is speaking about, this is a definition, your heart means the spiritual part of you where your emotions and your desires dwell. The spiritual part of you where your emotions, your desires dwell. It's the, another definition is it's the the inner part of you, your mind, soul, spirit, your entire emotional nature and understanding. That's your heart. How's your heart, that inner spiritual part of you, this Easter morning. The Bible says that question is huge. In the book book of Proverbs, it says, above everything else, guard your heart, because it's the wellspring of life. So how is your heart? Well, in the, the reading that we just heard, which Matt brought for us, we see two men who have some real heart trouble. And I wonder if you can see them. You heard them, you heard it read out, but can you see them in your imagination? There they are, they're they're, they're plodding along a road, and their body language says it all. Have you ever seen Geelong supporters uh, plodding out of Cardinia Park after a shot finals defeat? Have you ever seen that? Uh, Maybe, more more seriously, you've read about or or you've seen about broken soldiers at the front of a war who, they've been broken, they've smashed, they've run, and they plod to the, the rear, shoulders hunched, defeated, beaten. Well, the friends are like that. You, you know something's wrong just by looking at them. And in my mind, I can imagine them just like that, shoulder slump, plodding along the road. Uh, we're told in verse 24 that they're going from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. It's like an 11-kilometer approximate walk. And these two friends are talking as they walk along. And I can imagine it would have been like that kind of dull, despondent conversation But as they plod along, another traveler appears on the road behind them. And this traveler is walking more quickly. He he comes up alongside them as they're plodding along. And and in my mind, they must go like, do you think the road's big enough for all of us? Do you have to come and walk alongside us? Like, we're in the midst of our grief and pain. What are you doing here? But this other traveler walks along. And and then he goes like, what are you guys talking about as you walk along the road? And, And they're like... 
Yeah. Actually, it tells us they just stop. And they stand still. And one of the friends, and we're told his name is Cleopas, he goes like, this is what he says. He says in verse 7, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in this day? In other words, he goes, what hole have you been hiding in? You're coming from Jerusalem, obviously. You, how could you not know what just happened? And then Jesus responds to the sarcastic question with a counter question. He, innocently, he goes like, what things? <laughs> what things happened? And we're told that they don't know this is Jesus. To them, it's just a stranger on the road. And he goes, what things happened in Jerusalem over the weekend, guys? And so they tell him, and it makes for such tragic listening. Uh, when you listen through their perspective and through their eyes, you just sense their breaking hearts, their sad hearts. And they said to him, verse 19, it's all about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. They say, the things in Jerusalem over the weekend, it was all about Jesus. He was a prophet. He was one who spoke the words of the God to people. People came from everywhere to hear him. And he was mighty, not just in word, but in deed. He healed the sick, so many of them. He, 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 uh, he cast out spiritual oppression and demons. He, he even raised the dead. And yet, our leaders and our chief priests are crucified him. And they say, and we thought, we thought he was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the one that we read about in the Old Testament scriptures like the book of Daniel. We thought he was the one, the son of man who was going to come in the clouds with glory, who's going to kick out the Romans, who's going to make everything broken, fixed. We thought this was going to be the king. But they crucified him. And what's worse, it's three days since they did it. It's over. Or at least it should have been. Then they say, verse 22, This morning some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. These two friends says it should have been over, but it's still dragging on. The women, they had this report about angels and some who were with us, they went to the tomb. We didn't go to the tomb, but they did. And they said that, that, that it was empty. But th these two men speak so much louder with their actions than they do with their words, don't they? They're going like, we're out of here. Enough's enough. We're leaving Jerusalem. He's risen, angels, yeah, right. And so here they are plodding along the road. Death is death. It's over. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're going to Emmaus. And there they stand on the road looking at Jesus with sad hearts. But the stranger on the road has a distinct lack of empathy. Did you notice that? Their sad hearts, shoulders slumped, told this whole sorry tale of what's happened and the stranger is very unempathetic. He's like, like some of you husbands sometimes, perhaps. Um, he says this, verse 25. Foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones. He says to them. 
How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer the thing, these things and enter into his glory? It, it says, oh, you foolish ones. It, it's not like kind of a gentle, oh, you foolish ones. In Greek, in the original language, this is, this is extreme irritation, disappointment, emotion. You, you use that word. It's very, very, very strong. It's like when your kid, little kid gets a, gets a coin and scratches all along the side of your car. It's, you foolish one. It's that kind of emotion. How have you done this? Well, perhaps at this point, one of them might have said, you know, we believe the scriptures. That's the point. We're not foolish. We believe the scriptures. And the scriptures spoke about this coming Messiah coming to, to, to change everything and change the world and we thought it was Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, good on you. Yeah, you saw that part in the scriptures. That's true. But then the stranger beside them on the road says, I think, I don't know if he did this, but he says, what about Isaiah 53? Did you read that? What about Isaiah 53 that says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. And I can imagine Jesus saying to them, don't you see? Have you not understood? It's talking about the same person. The conquering king and the suffering servant, they are the same person. Don't you see it had to be this way? Don't you see that what happened in Jerusalem is not a failure, it's a fulfillment? And then uh, we're told in this wonderful verse that starting with Moses and going through the prophets, that's all the Old Testament, he starts interpreting to them in all the scriptures the things that concerned himself. I loved uh, one of the images if you were here at the start, and you saw that, that photo collage of art. I love one of the images. You see Jesus walking in the middle of the two friends, and his arms on one of their shoulders, and he's, he's speaking to them as he gives them a Bible study on the road. And so they stand with slow hearts, so sad hearts, but it's only because they have slow hearts, slow to believe. They, they've got slow hearts because they've grasped the wrong end of the biggest stick in all of history. And so when Jesus makes to pass them by and continue on, they, they plead with him. They say, no, no, come in with us. Don't, don't go. It's getting dark. And he makes as if he's going to keep walking. And they go, no, they plead with him. They're urgent. He comes in with them. And then there's this wonderful moment where they're, they're eating together. And he, the stranger, Jesus, he takes charge. He takes the bread and he breaks it. And in that moment... The, it's like, wow, it's like the 5,000 when he broke the bread. It's like, it's like the Last Supper, a couple of nights, and their eyes are opened. They see who it is. Jesus disappears from them. And then, um, uh, then they, he, they say this, verse 32. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to us, the scriptures? Our hearts burned. So I ask, how is your heart when we see these, these two disciples on the road, we see them with sad hearts. We see them with slow hearts. And we see them 
end with burning hearts. Sad hearts, slow hearts, burning hearts in the presence of the resurrected, triumphant Jesus, the Messiah. What does it mean to have a burning heart? Well, it means a burning heart means a heart that's on, on fire, obviously. It, it connotes in it's something that's there's life, there's vitality, there's heat, there's flame, there's, there's passion, there's excitement, there's joy, there's wonder. And these, these two friends on the road, plodding along on the way there, we're told that same, like they get up again, they turn around and they go 11 kilometers all the way back. And in my mind, I can imagine them, imagine them running. I don't know, we don't know how they walked. But we do know that, that when, they, when they get back, uh, they're full of this amazing news, verse 33, uh, but before they can even get it out, the others go like, He's alive, <laughs> gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed, he's appeared to Simon. So that's, you see these disciples on the road, we see their hearts, and, and as we look at their hearts on that first Easter morning, all that time ago, how is your heart this morning? How is your heart as you hear again this wonderful Easter news? For many of us here, we've heard it a lot of times before. Which, which of those three hearts would describe you? Sad hearts? Slow heart? Burning heart? Maybe you've never heard these words before. You've, you've never, well, you've heard them, but maybe you've never really grasped them. How is your heart this morning? Which would describe you? Well, let's look at those hearts in turn. Sad heart. I want to say something that may be a little bit controversial this morning on Easter Sunday, but it's, I think it's true, and that is that you can personally have encountered the risen Jesus the Messiah this morning, and you can still have a sad heart. It may be that if Jesus could look inside your inner dialogue, you'd just stand there looking sad. It's possible to, have a, to be a Christian and have a sad heart, even on this Easter Sunday morning. And that's because sadness is a hallmark of the world in which we live. We still live in a broken world where there are broken bodies, there are broken relationships, there's a broken physical world, there's so much pain. That is everybody's world. Whether or not you've encountered the risen Messiah, Jesus Christ, it's still a world where there's real sadness. It's wired into this world. And I should say that the sadness that we feel from living in a broken world is not the sadness that those first disciples on the road felt. It's quite different. Quite different sadness. But there's a similarity in Jesus' response. As those two disciples walk along the road, sad hearts. How does Jesus respond to them? Well, he comes alongside them, doesn't he? He walks alongside them in the pain and sadness of their road. I love, I said, that art that shows him with an arm or a hand, a nail-pissed hand resting on, on their shoulders. And, you know, there's a truth this morning that you might think that, that oh, I just feel out of place this morning. I, I am a Christian, but right now there's a lot of sadness and a lot of brokenness in my life. I want you to know something that's really important. It's this, sadness does not repel the risen Jesus. Sadness, in fact, draws him to you. 
Like them, you, you might not recognize there isn't Jesus walking with you. But he's there. If you're a believer this morning and you have a sad heart, even on this Easter resurrection morning, know that the same resurrected Jesus is alongside of you. But there is a far deeper and a far greater sadness that lies at the root of some of us here this morning and certainly of our world. It's a sadness that's not circumstance-based so much by encountering the brokenness of the world in which we live. It's, it's deeper. It's existential. It's a sadness that lies at the very root of our being. It's a, it's a sadness that's actually reflected in, in all the stats, in all, all, the, all the studies that you see into mental health and condition of people, especially in the Western world, it's reflected overwhelmingly. So, so this week, um, I did some, some research and I look at some of these statistics and in the last five years, uh, those people who would identify as feeling sad, empty, uh, depressed, has grown by 5%, 1% each year for the last five years. But you go, that's only 5% change. But, but then you, you look at some studies that have come out in multiple countries in the world and they, they agree that in the last five decades, the level of sadness in the hearts of people in the West, in America, in the US, in the UK, New Zealand, has grown tenfold. Ten times in the last five decades. At the very same time, when in those same period of time, we have become so much more materially richer. So much more blessed in so many ways, yet our sadness has increased uh, one young person, I, I read a, a study this week from the United Kingdom, talking about that fact. Why is it that sadness is increasing when we're getting so many more good things? And one person in the UK, young person, said this, you feel like everything you do is pointless, and you're just going through the motions, just trying to fill in the time until you die. Sometimes you have fun or something good happens which can distract you for a while, but ultimately there is a hollowness inside which never goes away. That's a very different sadness to the first kind of sadness that I mentioned. It's an existential sadness. Right at the depth of your being, as a human person in this world, there's a hollowness and an emptiness a deep, deep sadness. Well, this morning it's important to note that the disciples only had sad hearts because they had slow hearts. They didn't need to have sad hearts. That's part of the point of Jesus' conversation with them, isn't it? Oh, you foolish ones, so slow of heart to believe. Sometimes we can have sad hearts because we have slow hearts. And that's, again, true of Christians it can be true of us as Christians who have encountered the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus. We can have sad hearts, not so much because we encounter the sadnesses of the world, but we interpret it in the wrong way. So, for example, we, we can say, yeah, I accept the reality that Jesus um, came and he was predicted to suffer and to die and to be raised to life. I accept that, and now I accept that I will live in perpetual happiness that every day of my life will be just one wonderful improvement on the next. It's just like a graph that goes like that all the way. And so when we encounter suffering or we encounter disappointments, well, then we go like, the whole Jesus project has failed. 
because here I am, there's a resurrected Jesus, but right now I'm, I'm suffering. Something's just making it hard. So therefore, the Jesus project has failed. And I think sometimes the resurrected Jesus would, would nudge us in the ribs and say, how slow of heart you are to believe. All the prophets said what life would be like with me, this side of heaven. For example, 1 Peter 2.21, for this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Hear that? Christ Jesus, the example he left, is one that you and I will follow. We will follow in his steps. What was his example? It was the example of suffering. Uh, John 15.20, Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Jesus' point, I'm the master, you are the servant. What happened to me will happen to you. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, loses his life, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Very important for those people being baptized here to know that truth. It's about taking up your cross. So your suffering here and now, if you're a Christian, doesn't signify the failure any more than it did for Jesus on this weekend. Your suffering here as a Christian doesn't signify that God has failed you any more than it did for Jesus. That's how it had to be for him and how it had to be for us. Cross now, crown later. Suffering now, glory later. And sometimes as Christians, our hearts are sad because we just don't listen to what Jesus told us about life with him, what it would be like until he comes again. It'll be a world of joy and suffering. So how's your heart? Would Jesus maybe say to you if you're a Christian, oh, you slow-hearted fool. <laughs> Haven't you listened to what I told you what life would be like? What did you expect when you followed me? So there's a, there's, sometimes there's a truth that our slow hearts result in sad hearts. And once again, there's a deeper level truth to this as well. A, 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 a word or a, a truth that's not primarily applied to people who already know Jesus, but for those who don't. And maybe this morning, that's you, either physically here or you're online. There's a truth here that slow hearts cause sad hearts, and they don't need to. There are some of us uh, this morning who have sad hearts because we've got slow, foolish hearts. We refuse to accept, to believe, to wrestle with the truth about who Jesus says he is. Uh, we walk on a road and we tell ourselves it's a it's a random road. It's a cul-de-sac. It's going only one direction, and that is direction. It's like my life and your life is just, I'm just like another animal living in this world, trying to get by until death ends everything. I'm here by random chance. There's no design or purpose in my existence. I'm just here by a random collision of atoms in, in a quantum universe of all of these possibilities. My life means absolutely nothing. I live in this world, and I don't have a purpose now, really. Maybe 
if you're in that world, you say, well, God, if you are real, give me a sign. If this is more than just random thing, give me a sign. Show me that you're real. But you've already got a sign. The sign has been given to you in the truth of the scriptures. It's in, in the Bible. The, the scriptures insist that the Jesus, the same Jesus who was crucified, was resurrected. That he's alive. And you might, you might say to me, well, Andrew, you know, how do I know that? I, I haven't seen that. Well, I haven't seen Adolf Hitler dying in the Führer bunker either. But I believe that it happened. Why? Because I've read multiple accounts of it. I've eyewitness accounts of it. I've seen evidence that has persuaded me beyond any doubt that Adolf Hitler died and is still dead. And in the same way that these eyewitnesses accounts are recorded for us in the Bible so that you and I, when we come to this, would actually be able to assess them and would go, is it true? That's a fundamental question. Is it true that Jesus is alive? We said, those of us who are Christians, we said, he is risen. And we said, he is risen indeed. Question is, is it true? And if you're someone wrestling with the truth of that, you're not left just wrestling in the dark. Uh, you have evidence, eyewitness accounts, evidence that, that points to the resurrection of Jesus. It's compelling evidence. It's, it's evidence that when I was 17 years old, persuaded me that Jesus was indeed alive. There is evidence and if you've never wrestled with it, you should. Because as I said, this is the most fundamental question. Did, did Jesus stay dead? Well, this is just a, we're just remembering the sacrifice of a noble man. It's a bit like Anzac Day. The soldiers who fought at Gallipoli and everywhere else, they're dead. And they'll stay dead. But the claim is that Jesus Christ died and he's alive. What's the evidence for that? If it's true, it changes everything. Uh, Jesus uh, later said in the same chapter of Luke, he said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and listen to this, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus says, I'm alive. I died and I'm alive and now repentance, repentance that's turning away from the sins that trap us and enslave us, repentance, forgiveness of those sins should be, claimed, be proclaimed to everybody beginning in Jerusalem. That's happening right now. If you've got a, a sad heart because you're slow to believe the truth of this, this news, this gospel, this good news is proclaimed to you. To you. And it's not a good news about a, a philosophical concept, about a theism that has this at, at its center, this sort of abstract person called Jesus. That's not what it is. It's, it's a proclamation that a person is alive, right? Walking beside you on the road physically there, arm around your shoulder, real person, Jesus Christ. And it's a real relationship with him, not just a philosophical belief. It's far, far more. So how's your heart? As the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Um, if Jesus was dead, then his claims about his identity, well, they're a dead man's claim said that he was the son of God, that he will come again to judge the whole world. If he's dead, forget it. If he's alive, everything's confirmed. You can believe everything that Jesus said because he predicted that he would be crucified and resurrected, and he was. That means everything else he said is true too. 
More than that, it means that the emptiness and the hopelessness that you feel, you're not in a cul-de-sac world where death is the end. It's not the full stop on the end of life. The fact that Jesus was raised to life means that death is defeated. The the door that was fast shut, as C.S. Lewis said, since the death of the first man, Jesus kicks it down, it's gone. And because he is resurrected, you will live too. You can live too with him for all eternity. Death is not the end. Death is the doorway. And we follow through that doorway as Jesus did before us. This is incredible, incredible news. But I love it that in one sense, those disciples on the road didn't even need to see the resurrected Jesus. You notice that? When did their hearts start to burn? When he showed them the truth in the scriptures. Their hearts were burning before they even saw him. Before they realized who he was, their eyes were opened and they saw it was Jesus. Their hearts were already burning. You can continue with a sad, slow heart. And you can continue to inhabit a drab, gray, dull universe where death overshadows everything and everything you do is meaningless in the end. Or you can come to Jesus and have a heart that burns with life, with light, color, excitement, hope, triumph, resurrection, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of failures and disappointments, a a transcending light that captures your heart and all of you, your inner being, the inner well of yourself, your inner personality, who you are, the depth of your being, your heart. You can have a burning heart. So how is your heart? If we were to take a, a spiritual ECG of you right now, if the risen Lord Jesus would be sitting next to you right now and would, would reach across and touch you on the shoulder and know the state of your heart, what would he find? How is your heart? Well, if, you, if your answer is, yeah, I followed Jesus, but my heart's cold, slow, sleepy, Once, long time ago, my heart was on fire. I understood the truth of the gospel of Jesus and my heart was transformed and and new life came in and everything was technicolor as as I reached out to him and excitement as I walked with him day by day. But now it feels like my heart is this like burned, cold out ashes, a fire that's gone out. Or maybe just a few embers smoldering where once there was a blazing fire in my heart. If that's you, this Easter morning, I want to say to you, it doesn't have to be that way. The resurrected Jesus walking beside you doesn't want you to live that way. That's a terrible way to live, to know the truth of Jesus in your head, but have a cold, dead heart. So if you're honest this morning, and I know there's some of you that, that that's, I've just described your reality, or God, by the Holy Spirit, has pointed down into your heart and says, that's you, sister, brother. It doesn't have to be that way. You are here right now for a reason. The resurrected Jesus wants you to have a burning heart for him. So if that is you, Um, I'm going to give you a chance to actually physically uh, make a response to that. 
And I'm going to make it really hard for you because following Jesus is hard. And if you're serious, well, then you'll have the guts to stand up in a moment when I ask you so I can pray for you. This is for someone who is already a Christian, but you've got a cold, gray heart. And how hard is that? That I'm going to ask you to stand up before other people and stand before God and say, yeah, my heart is cold and I want it to burn again. But as I said, it's, if you're serious, then the least thing that you can do is stand and be prayed for. So that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. Then I'm going to ask you to sit down. But I am going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you right now. So if that's you, stand up and I'm going to pray for you. Oh, bless your sister. <laughs> that's so gutsy. Any, anyone else have that kind of guts? Well done. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. Well done. So gutsy. Bless you. Isn't that awesome? I, I think I feel the angels rejoice when, when, when we, we come before God and, and He opens our hearts as they are. They rejoice. See the authentic work in our hearts. Anyone else? Well done, sisters and brothers. Thank you. And, and you know what? Honestly, the fact that you're standing here is, is part of the resolution of the problem in the first place. Soft heart, isn't it? There's probably others of you standing here who think, that's me, but I'm not going to stand. Here's people who stand with soft hearts already. So, brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. You guys stay standing just for a moment and then we're going to pray for these brothers and sisters. Let's do it. Father God, we come this morning and we lift before you these men and women created in your image. Precious, eternal beings. Men and women who've known you sometimes for a long time. Men and women who cry out in their hearts, give me that burning heart again. My heart's grown dead and cold Make it burn again. And Father Almighty, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask and say, so be it. May those prayers that they have prayed be fulfilled. We join our prayers with them saying, set their hearts on fire. May this day, this resurrection day be a day when their faith comes to life again, when it, it shines and sparkles and, and thrives and grows and produces more fruit than it ever has before. Fill them again, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ with your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in confidence and faith in the name of that resurrected Jesus. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you so much for your courage. But I, I want to finish this morning by saying that there's perhaps someone here, someone with a sad, slow heart, because you've never really put your, tra your faith and your trust in the risen Lord Jesus. You've been going through life following everybody else, living for what everyone else is living for, but knowing deep in your heart that you have a sad heart and a slow heart because you've never encountered Jesus. And for the first time, perhaps this morning, you, or maybe it's, it's, it's been for many times, but for the first time, you understand the good news about Jesus Christ, that he came and he lived our life the Son of God, living a life in this broken world that he was crucified for our sins, 
according to the scriptures, that he was buried in a tomb on the third day. He was raised to life that you and I might have repentance and the forgiveness of sins and the promise of life everlasting. It's very good news. And this morning, perhaps you say, I've heard it maybe before, but this morning I feel my heart burning. I feel the presence of God on my heart right now. This could be the most significant moment in your entire eternity. And so I want to I do is give you a chance to respond. I want to give you a chance to come to Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to stand this time. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a prayer that I'm going to pray in the moment, word for word. And I'm going to ask you now, if that is you, as I read these words of the prayer, can you, in your heart, ask yourself the question, could I say these words this morning? And these are the words. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming and for dying for the sin of the world. I confess my sin. My slow heart, I ask that you'd forgive me. Risen Jesus, come into my life in your power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. That's the prayer. So I'm going to ask us all to to bow our heads and and between you and God, only between, between you and the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus, I'm going to lead us in this prayer. And if that is you, in the quietness of your heart, just pray quietly in your inner being. Pray these words to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming and for dying for the sin of the world. I confess my sin, my slow heart, and I ask that you would forgive me. Risen Jesus, come into my life in your power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. While our eyes are all still closed, I do want to ask that if you prayed that prayer for the first time, surrendering your heart to Jesus, that you would, you would let me know, just while our eyes are closed, just, just, you can just look up, just wave to me, let me know, was there anybody this morning who prayed that prayer? see thank you anybody else thank you I see I'm going to close this in in prayer in just a moment but I do want to encourage you that if you did pray that prayer this morning invite the the band up that across on my left there's you'll see when when I finish praying and you open your eyes, you'll see there's some bags there. They're there for you. And, and maybe, maybe you're someone who was like, you were wrestling with that prayer, but you didn't quite gasp it out this morning. You were, you were still needing more time. In that bag, there are resources that would really help you. There are things that would be really useful. 
Uh, there's a book, there's other gifts and other, other ways that we can, we'd love to help you on that journey. So please take one of those. They're free. They're at the front um, at the end of the service. But let's pray. Father, oh, so often we have slow hearts. We have foolish hearts. We have sad hearts. But Lord, this morning on this Sunday, we thank you that our hearts can be burning hearts. That because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, our hearts are alive with his life. And we thank you this morning, Lord Jesus, that on this Easter morning, there is such joy and hope, there is such wonder ahead for all those who would believe the truth of the gospel. And so, Lord, we, as we come now and as we sing, we ask, Lord, that, that our hearts would each and every one burn for you. We ask this, that you might be glorified and that we might rejoice and be full, fully human, who we were meant to be as we worship you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.